want to thank everyone for your presence this evening. I want to thank the congregation for asking me to be a participant in the study this year. I've looked forward to being able to uh, be here and to talk on this subject. I love hospitality. Uh, I've grown up loving hospitality. Just give you a little anecdote. When my wife and I had first married, we moved to St. Albans, West Virginia. And that year they were having the, the Eastern Labor Day meeting. And uh, we, were, we were six, seven months into our, our wedding and our marriage. And uh, I, I came home from an afternoon service. Well, it was sort of a morning service, but it had gone from like uh, 11 o'clock until 1 o'clock. And I told my wife, I said, I've invited some folks over for supper this evening before church. She says, okay, how many? I said, I don't know, there may be 40 or more. <laughs> That's how my life's been. We have, we have always had our doors open. By the way, my wife didn't, she, she rose to the occasion. There was plenty of food that night, but we, we love having company. And I'm looking out over the audience and there's a great number of people here that I've either stayed in your homes or you've taken me out for a meal. Uh, I've enjoyed the, the generosity and what we would call the hospitality that you show. Well, let's talk about hospitality. Now, I've been asked to uh, to answer these four questions. How can an introverted Christian still show hospitality? I think we can address that. What if I'm not good at or cannot afford the stereotypic, stereotypical, I might not get past that, <laughs> acts of hospitality like cooking or buying people food? What can I do? How do you open your home, question number three, how do you open your home to people, especially people that you do not know, strangers, while you're also protecting your family? And question number four, what should our expectations be for both giving and receiving hospitality? Hospitality is a science today. I can't tell you everything that uh, that there is to know about it. Just before we, uh, this service began here, David Griffin told me, he said, he said, you know, I Googled hospitality because I was working on a sermon and he said, I was looking for some sort of a picture and all that I could find for quite a while was pictures of waiters and uh, hotel concierge and uh, people of this nature. And that's because this is a business. You can go to the University of Missouri and you can get a bachelor's degree in hospitality. Imagine that. You can go across the state line and go to Oklahoma State if you want and you can get a PhD in it. So uh, we're, we're talking about something that is, uh, there's a lot to know about it, obviously. I won't be able to tell you everything, but our purpose this evening is we want to know, what does the Bible teach about hospitality? What, what does the Bible tell us concerning this subject? We're really not interested in running hotels or restaurants or 
anything of this nature. We just want to know what, what does God expect of us in regard to hospitality. It is a Bible subject. The, uh, the word hospitality or being hospitable is used uh, several times within the scriptures. As I was preparing for this and as the congregation mailed out the flyers announcing what the subjects were going to be this year, uh, my brother Glenn Osborne sent me an article. He had done some research on hospitality. Very good material. Since he shared it with me, I think he would probably share it with any of the people here that would like to have a copy of it. It's excellent reading material. Let me just give an excerpt from his article. I thought it was good. He says, hospitality in the first century focused on the alien or the stranger in need. The plight of a traveling foreigner was desperate. They lacked affiliation or identification in the community. As an alienated person, the traveler often needed immediate food or lodging. Widows, orphans, the poor, or sojourners from other lands often lacked the familiar or co community connections that provided a means for making a living and protection. In the ancient world, the practice of hospitality meant graciously receiving an alienated person into one's community, into his land or home, and providing for that person's needs. This, Glenn says, was an Old Testament virtue. And he quotes a passage of scripture from Leviticus 19, verse 33, where it says, If a stranger dwells with you in your land, you shall not mistreat him. The stranger who dwells among you shall be to you as one born among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Well, when we talk about hospitality, what does it mean? David Griffin helped me out here. He says that this word is pronounced philoxenos. And I didn't say it right, did I? But... I'm close. <laughs> it's a compound word. And it's, uh, it's brought together by two words of philo, that means brotherly love, and xenos, a stranger. And so the dictionaries, the Greek lexicons, tell us that this word literally means kind to strangers or kindness to strangers, mounts, Generous to guests, Thayer. Strong says fond of guests. W.E. Vine says a love of strangers. Vine takes a very literal meaning to the word, uh, showing what it means. But it's, it's loving individuals, being kind to individuals that you may not know, or at least you don't know them very well. You may know who they are, you may have some indication or some idea about their, uh, their family, but you're not really all that close to them. And he's talking here about that we should love strangers or be kind to strangers. Hospitality is a quality that is expected of an elder. We'll see that as we go along, but it's also something that is commanded to everyone 
that is a Christian. Everyone that becomes a child of God is expected to show hospitality. Now, Jesus, during his earthly ministry, taught many parables that involved hospitality, such as the parable of the marriage feast that's found in Matthew chapter 22. There the parable begins, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. And then he gives the, some of the circumstances that surround this and people that, that chose not to come. And he says in verse 8, the wedding is ready, speaking of the king here, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. Or take the other parable that's so familiar to us of the, uh, of the Good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10, where the Bible says, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, and was, uh, uh, they stripped him of his clothing, they wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. We read about those that passed by and didn't pay any attention to him, didn't care that there was a man that was dying on the road and that had uh, been uh, uh, mistreated in a terrible way. And then the Bible says, a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. Now this Samaritan didn't know the man that he had picked up on the highway that had been, uh, that had been wounded, that had been robbed, but he loved him. He loved a stranger, and that's hospitality. So you see, hospitality is its more than just inviting someone into your home to enjoy a meal. Hospitality means caring for those that you may not be all that familiar with. The parable of the judgment shows how important that it is in Matthew chapter 25, where Jesus talks about the, the judgment of the nations. And he says in verse 34, he says, The king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Clearly, the things that Jesus mentions here are some criteria that will be used in judging us for the works that we do in this life as to whether or not heaven is going to be our home. So we need to pay special attention to it and make sure that we understand what hospitality is and that we engage in it. 
In his instructions in Luke 14, Jesus takes for granted that the children of the kingdom want to be hospitable. That is, it's not something they're going to have to be coaxed into or coerced into, but rather that they want to do it. And he says this in regard to how it's to be done. He says uh, in verse 12, when you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now notice here, he's talking about inviting people that are not just family members. Sometimes we have the idea that it's, you know, we're hospitable if we invite just our friends or our family members. Jesus says, when you have a feast, he says, it's not the family members that count. It's not your close friends. It's those that you need to get to know. The Apostle Paul writes to the saints at Rome, and he says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 13 that they should be given to hospitality. A.T. Robertson in his word pictures explains this phrase, uh, given to hospitality, as something that he says the word means to pursue hospitality. The word given there, he says it means to pursue hospitality as if in a chase or a hunt. Uh, they were to pursue hospitality just as their enemies pursued them to persecute them. They were to be actively looking for opportunities that they could show their love for their fellow man. Paul qualifies a bishop to be hospitable. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2, he says, A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach. He tells us in Titus when he's writing in chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, he says, For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good. And in considering widows, and I think this was mentioned earlier uh, in the week, considering widows worthy of church support, he writes that they must be well reported for good works. If she's brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she's washed the saints' feet, if she's relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. I sometimes when I'm in Africa and brethren are talking to me about widows that need to be supported, I say, let's look at what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 5. I said, these are important requirements. And I'll tell the sisters that are there in the, uh, in the study, uh, I'll say, now you sisters, you're younger right now and you've got husbands and everything's fine, but this isn't something that you can do at the last minute. You have to learn to be hospitable now and to be involved in these good works that are mentioned right here so that 
if the day comes that your husband dies and you then are going to fall on the as the responsibility of the church because you don't have family members to care for you, you can say, I've done these things. If you haven't done these things, you're not the responsibility of the church. And you need to keep that in mind. Peter encouraged, he says, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. First Peter chapter four, verse nine. You know, I, I know that oftentimes uh, when there's a gospel meeting and there's a preacher coming in that folks don't know, uh, they, they know the name, but they've never. And there's, there's this bouncing back and forth of who's going to keep the preacher, especially if he has, if he's bringing his family and if he has children. I've known folks that have said, not, not at our house. We're not going to keep, we don't know him. We don't know, we don't know what his kids are going to be like. And uh, it's just hard to take care of somebody. And sometimes people will have someone in and, and they complain. They complain about the difficulty that has been put upon them. Peter says, you need to show hospitality without complaining, without grumbling. Uh, I get the impression from what he says here that if you grumble, why you don't get, you don't get the benefit of God blessing you in the end uh, because you've got your blessing uh, by everybody feeling sorry for you that you have done what you've done. It's the writer of Hebrews who reminds us so well of some of those great visitations of, of old, of long ago, when he says in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 2, do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. I'll talk about that a little later, but, you know, let's, let's move on here to uh, this idea here. I would like to be hospitable, but a lot of folks will tell me I would like to be hospitable, but when, when people are at our house, folks have, have you know, especially through, through the years when we were younger, people would be at our house and I'd say, we would like to do what you do, but we can't do it. You've got a better place to do it, or you, you've got more patience, or you have, you have more free time, or your place is more convenient, more centrally located for, for get-togethers and things. We would like to be hospitable, but... And people come up with all sorts of excuses as to why that they cannot be hospitable. How about this one? Not enough room. I would like to have people uh, at my house. I'd like to show hospitality, but my house or my apartment, it's not big enough to have people in. The Christians that live in Malawi would disagree with you. They, they would be able to see through a statement such as that because they all have very small homes uh, that are not, many of their homes are not near as big as this room that we're in right here, much smaller than this. I think of an instance where I was visiting with Brother Joseph Matoa, who's a translator that uh, lives in, uh, outside of Blantyre, and 
I went to his house once and a number of brethren had come uh, just to meet me. They wanted to, they wanted to get together with me and to visit. And so I, I get over to his house and people start coming in and pretty soon the house, there isn't any place to sit. And so folks are seated outside. They're, they're on the, the little porch that he had and then they're sitting out in the yard. And so I would just mingle with some in the house and then we'd walk outside and I'd mingle with those that were outside and uh, we, uh, we were able to visit. But the point is, he had a very small house, but even though the room was crowded, people were sitting on lawn chairs or on the ground, everyone enjoyed the occasion. No one complained about the lack of space. Whatever the accommodations are that we have, we generally have room for a guest or for someone to come visit with us. Some people say, my home is not nice enough or it's too shabby to have guests in. I recall once when I was in Puerto Viejo, Ecuador, we went and ate dinner at Sister Rosa's. Her house has a dirt floor. Her dining room furniture was white plastic. But like the once popular MasterCard commercial, her warmth and her generosity, priceless. This Christian woman was thankful to be able to share with us what she had. And isn't that all that God requires of us when he tells us to be hospitable, to show hospitality? That when, when we're asked to do things, to do good to others, we do with what we have and what we're able to do. A good biblical example would be the widow of Zarephath. She had very little. When the prophet Elijah came to her, to her gate and said, could you fix me something to eat? She says, I really only have enough here to fix a meal for my son and I. We were going to eat it and then die. And Elijah said, could you fix me something? And she did. And God blessed her. That story is found in 1 Kings chapter 17. Humble circumstances can never be used as an excuse for aloofness or rudeness to those that would uh, be strangers or those that would uh, need your hospitality. Now, sometimes people say this, my home is too nice for company. And I don't know what to say about that. <laughs> I really don't. You know, I've, I've been in people's homes that they're, they're like that. They'll say, you know, I go in, I look around. It's like I'm in some sort of a museum. They've got it all fixed up and it's, it's quaint. It's nice. It's not practical to live in. Folks will say, we can't have people over because they may knock over a vase or they may track on our floor and, and get it dirty, or they may, they may you know, uh, sit, sit on our sofa and uh, get, get the pillows out of, out of order or what have you. And I'm thinking, why would anyone want to live in a place like this? Uh, but there are, there's folks within, there's Christian people that have homes that they say, our homes are too nice 
for company. May God have mercy on those people. That's a sad situation to be in. Some people will say, well, I just really can't afford to have people over. I can't afford to show hospitality. One doesn't have to serve an expensive meal in order to be hospitable. Again, hospitality is sharing what we have. And most of us have much more than we're willing to admit. Uh, there was a children's story when I was a little boy. And some of you young people, you've never heard of it, but it was called Stone Soup. And it's the story of two strangers that come into a town and they're looking for some hospitality and they're looking for a meal. And they knock on a door or two and people say, sorry, we don't have anything. And so the, the men find a, a kettle and they go to the town square and they put the, the kettle there and they build a fire underneath. They pour water in and they start putting rocks into the kettle. And the townspeople come and they're watching and they say, what are you doing? And one of the men says, I'm making stone soup. I'm so hungry, I'm, I'm going to have stone soup. And as the kettle starts to boil, why he takes a taste and says, I need something. And one of the townspeople says, let me, let me see. And he says, I know what it needs, it needs onions. I've got some onions. And so they put the onions in and then uh, it cooks a little while longer. And another one says, he tastes, says it needs something else. And Someone says, I've got some carrots. And it goes on. Another one has potatoes. And another one has uh, some, some other vegetables. And pretty soon, the entire town's involved in making this kettle of stone soup. And they all enjoy a meal together. And the town learns to show hospitality. We can afford to do things. You can afford to do just about anything that you want to if you'll put your mind to it. Some folks will say, what do we do? You know, we're going to, we're going to have the preacher at our house. What am I going to do to entertain him? What am I going, what am I going to do to, uh, for the, the time that he's here? Or it's, you, you invite somebody from the, from the congregation. You know, I've challenged congregations to to uh, make that calendar, as Greg was talking about, and to, and to schedule having everybody in the congregation at one time during the year into your home. Uh, a lot of places don't do that because it's just, people just don't like to do it. But I've challenged folks to do that, and some folks will say, we don't have anything in common. There's nothing in common. You know, I'm a, I, I'm a, a construction worker and he's a, uh, an office manager and that we don't, you know, I hunt and he doesn't, he doesn't do that. And, and they, they say we don't have anything in common. Well, getting to know someone can be one of the most fascinating adventures that there is in life. And when we start learning about people, all of a sudden we're going to realize how many things that we do have in common. You think you don't have things in common with folks because you don't know them. You don't know what they're like. You don't know what their interests are in life. And of course, there's always the gospel. You know, you can invite someone into your home if you're visiting with, with fellow Christians and you can just sit down and have a Bible study about something. It doesn't have to be something that you're going to argue about and be in each other's face. 
just open the Bible and have a Bible reading and, and discuss what you've read. If you're entertaining your neighbors, sharing the saving grace of Jesus Christ is the greatest thing that you can do by showing hospitality and then talking to them about the Word of God. It's always appropriate. Now, sometimes people, you know, this question came up. Folks will say, what if I invite or help someone who's evil? Be thankful it was his picture. Here. What, what if I invite somebody that's evil? And we don't know that. I'm going to admit freely to you, there's been hundreds of people that have passed through my home and I've had some very undesirable people in my home. I've had undesirable people that have spent the night in my home. I've had, I've had people that have been to my home that I've fed that later I realized that they were, they were wicked people. Folks that under the guise of being saying, saying that they're members of, of the Lord's body, but they were, they were not who they professed to be. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, in verse 43, He says, You've heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those that curse you, and do good to those that hate you, and pray for those that spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those that love you, he says, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. What he's saying is, love your enemies and do good to all men. Why should we worry about the what-ifs in life? What if, you know, I invite someone or help someone that is, that is evil? You know, in Proverbs 22, speaking about the lazy man, the lazy man says, there's a lion outside and I'll be slain if I go out into the streets. That was his excuse for not going to work. And this cannot be our excuse for failing to be hospitable in life. God's commanded it. He says, show hospitality. And so we're supposed to do it. And there may be times that you'll show hospitality to somebody that you think, well, that, you know, that wasn't the, the best thing that occurred in my life. But you're going to do it because that's what you are supposed to do. Now, use wisdom, use good sense, um, and be be watchful. You don't want to invite someone into your home that might harm your wife or your children. I don't think that's going to happen very often in life. You may invite somebody into your home and when they leave, while well, something's missing, something's been broken, or something of this nature, or they, they say mean things about you. They, they mock at, at what, your, uh, what your hospitality was like but you've done what God wanted you to do. Pray for them that they will be better. 
People tell me that they don't have enough time. That's the workaholic's answer. You know, I work. I work 60 hours a week. I don't have time to have people in my house. I've had people tell me that, uh, you know, you just don't know what it is. Folks tell me, you, you don't know what it is. Like as if I've never worked 60 hours a week. My brother sitting right here at the end of this bench can tell me there's lots of weeks that we work 60 hours and yet we still managed to have people over to our homes. We still managed to, uh, to do what God commanded in regard to this. But this is the excuse that's given to justify a multitude of sins. I don't have time to go to church. I don't have time to read my Bible. I don't have time to pray. And the list can be quite long. People find time to do what they want to do. If one wants to do the Lord's work, he will find the time to do it. And I think that it's, you know, it's wrong for us to criticize God and say God has not made enough hours in the day. He's not put enough days in the week or enough weeks in the year for us to do what he's commanded us to do. And he's told us to be hospitable and to show hospitality. Well, the blessings that come from being hospitable can be very great. You know, the reference of the Hebrew writer in Hebrews 13 and verse 2 probably was to Abraham and or Lot in Genesis chapter 18 and 19. Though there were other occasions when men treated uh, or were, were uh, hospitable to angels as guests, I don't believe the writer of Hebrews is implying that we may unknowingly or unwittingly uh, have angels come in and drink a cup of coffee with us. I don't think that's going to happen. But, you know, Jesus implies something that's far greater than what the writer of Hebrews implied in Hebrews 13. The writer of Hebrews tells us not to forget to entertain strangers because some have entertained angels unawares. Jesus tells us something that is far greater than that, though, and that is in Matthew chapter 25, when he says, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I, listen, I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was uh, a stranger, you took me in. What an awesome thought. How great that it will be to hear those words in that day when the Lord tells us that in that we've done it to the least of these, our brethren, we've done it unto him. The Lord's given us a great incentive to love our neighbor, and I think we should do it with enthusiasm. That's my talk.